My guest today has been described by colleagues as follows. He has an amazing energy and knows exactly what to do, how to approach and coach through those rough days. His morale boosting abilities are unmatched and his dedication, positivity and uplifting spirit resonates throughout the office. Don is so motivating and enjoyable to work with and he's inspired me to reach for the impossible and to be the best version of myself. Here's another one. When I think of sales and operational leadership, there are few people to come to mind before Don. His success in senior leadership roles can easily be understood when you meet and talk with him. He has a contagious level of enthusiasm and that, that draws you in. Final one. Don is an incredible leader and operational master. I loved working directly with Don at launchleads.com where he helped me to put processes and systems in place in order to produce better results and create a great culture with the team. He's an incredibly hard worker and he gets stuff done. Don Martin, you're very welcome to the podcast. Cal, that you... <laughs> Just hearing those is it's awkward to hear those, but I, I appreciate you sharing those. And uh, uh, thanks, Paul. Uh, I love what you're doing. I love the voice that you're providing people and the avenue that you're uh, giving uh, sales leaders, business leaders, and entrepreneurs to just get insights. You know, we talked a little bit beforehand. It's such a cool Ooh. thing you're doing to give people, uh, you know, a way to learn and, and grow their businesses. That's really cool. Well, it's funny you should say that because I, 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 I to be honest, I have selfish reasons for doing it. And to me, that's a side benefit. And it's nice, again, it's nice to hear it. But for me, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not generally a social person anyway. And I've, people who know me might not believe this. Because if you're in this business, you're used to being on stage and speaking in front of groups. But I, I don't necessarily enjoy that part of it. Once I'm up there, it's fine but it's the meeting people and getting out and talking to people. So I have to force myself to do it. And particularly with lockdowns and all of that's been happening with restrictions, there's far fewer opportunities for that to get those, that, that social interaction going. And so that's, that's the primary reason why I did it. And it's funny, every single time, I mean, I would say the people I speak to, 50%, I've, I've known the people from a previous life. 50%, like yourself, never met before, never spoken to, this is the very first time. That's and right. I always have that sense of, I don't know if does trepidation is the right word, but it's a sense of, oh, it's, it's, I have to go now and do this, right? And then I get to speak to them, and it's just from the get-go, just like even with you this morning. It's an instant injection of energy and enthusiasm and gratitude and so many other things that, that, you, that we all get from interacting with other people, and particularly people like yourself who are... Who, who bring energy and enthusiasm and all of those other great values to conversation. So I say, to, I say thank you. Oh, it's, it's to you guys. It makes all the difference. It really oh, does. Pleasure. And it helps me enormously. So, um, yeah, to, I would like to go back, Don, again, we've never spoken before. So when, when I looked you up online, and I think it was through the AAISP that I came across your name in, in, initially. Yes. And uh, you grew up in Utah. I've only been to Utah once in my life. And it was probably one of the best, most memorable weekends I've ever had. My sister-in-law was working in Zion National Park. Yeah, uh, how beautiful. My boyfriend at the time. 
and, and I was in I was in California doing some work. I was installing some hardware in a data center somewhere, and I had a weekend between visiting a site there and on the East Coast. And they said, "Why don't you stop off with us for the weekend?" What an incredible state! Just beautiful. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about where you grew up. Um, my uh, when I I grew up, uh, I I'm very fortunate to have two of the most incredible parents. Um, just just ever uh, my my parents both were in the medical field and um, you know as the story goes my mother was in medicine before my dad was and um, and she you know she'd already graduated college my dad was a musical theater major but then stopped when he uh, found medicine and he went to Long Island University uh, in New York and uh, from when he was going there um, and they they lived in Brooklyn, and that's where they had me. So I'm technically born uh, in Staten Island. But uh, you know, they once he graduated, uh, they moved back back home to Utah, and that's where I was raised. And I was raised in this small, tiny town, Nephi, Utah. We we had population four thousand. I mean, this was you know a stamp sized town, and uh, to say that everybody knew everybody is an understatement. I mean, we knew. We knew everybody, and it was great because it was small town values. Um, every, it was kind. You know, you didn't lock your doors, and um, I was fortunate enough because in the mid '90s, my mother decided to leave uh, practicing clinical medicine and to start her own business. Now, this is in the '90s when um, you know it was hard for anybody to start a business, let alone a woman, and so she decided to start her own. A consulting practice kind of focusing on there was a law in the United States called HIPAA and so she focused on the HIPAA law on consulting clinics how to set that up and manage to that and I remember her working from home you know it sounds right easy now everybody works from home but in the 90s to work from home you know to work remotely was a really kind of very risky thing and so she worked from home um because uh, there, there wasn't really an internet in 1995 right so you had to do, to work from home you had to use a landline phone you had to have a separate phone and all these things and we watched all that and learned all that and we watched her take risks uh she didn't she didn't have a website she didn't have an email address to do things everything was done with a beeper and a landline and she built this really cool practice and as I got older, it inspired me to say, hey, one day I'm going to do have my own business. And I remember going to college and talking to her about, OK, how did you set it up? How did you do this? How did you find clients? And it was that entrepreneurial spirit from my mom that got me as 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 an adult to one, apply my own entrepreneurial spirit to work uh, at clients that I did for years. Um, and then eventually what I do now where I started my own business out of my home where I work my own thing and and um and find my own clients and i even to this day i talk to my mom about well hey here's my business it's a half million dollar practice and here's what i do and here's this and here's this she laughs about it and she's like well i would have never have had a website i never did that i'm like well you were in the 90s you you would have if you needed to right and so um yeah that's that was what growing up was like it was it was a really cool experience I'm always interested because, again, I would have strong memories of working prior to the internet where the phone was your only option. You talk about beepers. I worked with a company, Motorola, who made them. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and I'm often conflicted by 
the advantages today in terms of business tools like the internet versus not not having them meaning when you don't have them you have to define and refine other skills that still stay with you even when the tools so you're adding to them it's additive whereas if you if you have all of these tools i sometimes wonder if they make people a little soft what are your thoughts on that yes okay so um when you go to uh school when you go to uh like some sort of university or something and they're teaching you statistics the first thing they teach you is the foundation before they teach you how to use excel and i remember taking statistics in college and i was super frustrated by that because i remember arguing I, w I was always an arguer and i remember arguing with my statistics professor and said why are you teaching all these stupid f formulas where if i can just learn excel i never have to learn the formula and he said to me don if you learn the formula um, then if Excel breaks or anything ever goes down, you can still do the equation. And I thought that was so stupid. Well, then I get older and I started to do what you do, where you just mentioned where, hey, I've got all these technologies that enhance sales enablement, that enhance uh, business communications and all these things. And I realized technology only improves foundations that are in place. So if you don't have strong foundations in, in the way you communicate or in the way you run a business, all it does is expose poorly established foundations. It doesn't improve them. So it, you have to have a strong foundational structure in order to put technology on top of it. And then it makes it better. So to your point of it makes it soft, you're absolutely right. I've seen so many businesses, especially growing businesses, say, well, let's go purchase this sales enablement software or let's get better texting software or let's get this. And they just go buy it and then they're frustrated because their numbers don't improve. And they go, why didn't it improve? Well, because you guys weren't using good texting strategy in the first place or you guys weren't using good communication, internal communication process in the first place. You sucked. Okay, so technology is not going to help you. You have to have yeah. a good foundational process first. You have to be able to do it manually really well first. And then technology will make it 10 times better after you're foundationally strong. And it goes back. I'm never going to say a college professor. My college professor was right. I refuse to give him that satisfaction. <laughs> but let's just assume somebody else told him he was right. Then, yeah, that, then, yeah. then, then, then that's, that's correct. And his name Can was, I say he was right? Yes. Okay. His professor, Sean Anderson, was his name. And so not that he would ever listen to this podcast, but um, let's just say somebody. Then, then, then he was wrong. Then he's wrong. Yes, I mean, exactly. Not listening to this. Yeah. It's interesting that the, 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 for me, the mark of a good speaker, a public speaker or presenter, wherever, wherever the domain is, is somebody who can continue to speak without interruption if they're. PowerPoint slides, if their projector dies, if their, their <laughs> technology right. goes off. Yeah. And I think it's the same is true in sales. If you turned off the internet, how many sales teams would be petrified, paralyzed? And how many would say, okay, can't use that. Let's go pick the phone up. Like, let's go at it. That's, you know, yeah. that's uh, tr absolutely true story. Um, just last week, you know, in my, in my coaching business, I have, I have numerous clients all over the world. And uh, I have a uh, one of them, I have a client that they have an SDR team uh, for listeners that don't know what SDR is, right? Sales development rep. It's the frontline reps that are just making appointments, setting calls. And it's usually your lowest entry level group that you're hiring. They don't know a lot about sales. They're just setting appointments. 
sure enough, this group, uh, their internet went out. And everyone should know, everybody's internet's going to go out someday. Like, (laughs) it's inevitable your internet's going to go out. And their internet went out, and sure enough, all of the SDRs just went home. And um, I I called all of them individually on their cell phones. Hey, where are you going? Because they're all dialing with VoIP with their headsets. And I said, look, we pay for your cell phones. You've got your list, like, because they're using HubSpot, and so their HubSpot app is on their phone. I said, just call your list on your cell phone. Just just go through and call it. They said, well, but our Internet's down. No, I... I'm 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 aware your internet's down. Just just call just call from your cell phone, and it just I couldn't get them to register. They were like, "Well, but our internet's down. I think I should go home for the day." And it just I couldn't even get them to cross the bridge, and yeah. uh, only one of them stayed. Only one of them was like, "Oh, I'm just gonna sit here and call." And they got three appointments, right? They did fine. They called and got three appointments, and I get it. The data wasn't great. They weren't able to log everything great. And you know what? Who cares? We figured it out, right? Like, <laughs> everything was fine, right? <laughs> you don't need data to start a conversation with somebody. <laughs> that's I, right. I, I think that's the, the real gift of having been around. And I don't, I don't want this to sound like people are, are going to say, oh, listen, this is just a podcast for Gen Xers or boomers or whatever they want to say. But I do think it's an important point is that when – you can, if, if you can turn off the internet and still continue on with your day, what that does, and, and why I think it's important and everybody should do it occasionally at least, is that it gives you massive confidence. It takes away all fear because you have no fear for the future. You, you'll always have a job. If there's a phone, and, and you don't even need a phone. If, you, if you've got gas in the tank, you can yeah. drive somewhere. Yeah. You, you, you never have to worry. And, and just that alone, I think takes away any kind of background anxiety about the job, about your future, and, and that allows you that allows you to be fully present with the people you're with, because you're well, not thinking or worried about. Yeah, what I'll if. I'll give you an example where this is absolutely applicable and true. And there's data behind it. So, I run um, a coaching uh, a coaching roundtable. Okay. Um, that and if any, if you have any coaches out there, this is obviously a self plug that is shameless. Okay, but I run a coaching roundtable. I love shameless. Yeah, absolutely yeah. love shameless. Yeah. I'll tell yeah. you what we'll do. We'll also put a link to it in the, yeah. in the video. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a coaching roundtable. That if there's any coaches that are trying to build their practice, it's a it's a very low cost coaching roundtable group that coaches run that they we have them participate in that only focuses on how coaches can build their practice. It's real sales tactics yeah. to help them do that. So we run a free webinar. Um, to get them in to uh, learn some th- some tactics uh, to build their practice. Mm-hmm. Now, we run advertisements to get people into this webinar. You understand the webinar model, right? We're running advertisements to bring people in. We'd probably put a couple thousand dollars into advertisements into this webinar. And I'm the speaker on the webinar. Fifteen minutes before the webinar, I have some people outside my house uh, doing some yard work, and they cut my fiber line, and my Internet goes down. Okay. I mean, Mm. just 15 minutes before my webinar. And I mean, I've got 500 registrants coming onto this webinar. Okay. Paid register. Like this is a disaster. Okay. Um, so I go to flip on my laptop. I can't get it to connect to the internet. So I'm like, okay, well I'll just hotspot. I can't get my laptop to connect to my hotspot, 
but I can get my iPad for some reason to connect to my hotspot. So I get my iPad to connect to my hotspot. So I run a webinar <laughs> from my iPad to a hotspot, okay, which was a terrible experience. And I get on there and I tell everybody, hey, everybody, this is not going to be the experience you expected. I'm hotspotting. And if you've ever ran a webinar, right, on an iPad, you can't see the chat screen. You're, it's your fingers up on this. You're doing all this stuff. But we ended up getting a 26% conversion out of the sales out of it. It was it was very decent conversions. It was great. And to be honest, we actually got, you know, we always do a survey after. People said it was very authentic. They were like, hey, it was nice to actually have a webinar that felt, you know, it wasn't like, you know, hey, this is a seven-figure course, perfectly cut webinar. Yeah. They go, it yeah. felt it felt very real. We've actually talked yeah. with the group that I'm with, like, maybe we should do more webinars that that are a little chaotic yeah. <laughs> because it was so yeah. real. So to your point, lose the internet a little bit, lose some of your safety net, and it it makes it uh, makes it makes it real. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Did you yes, go mis- on the mission? Missions? Uh, no, I was. I didn't. Um, you're referring to the the predominant faith in the uh, state of Utah, the Latter Day Saint, yes. and I am Latter Day yes. Saint. Uh, but I did not join that faith until I was later in life. I joined in my uh, late teens, and it's very important to me that faith kind of changed my life. Um, and oh. I'll talk about that probably about three hours of your podcast. Um, yeah. And to be honest, that faith has shaped a lot of the way that I sell, a lot of the way that I lead and manage. Um, but uh, that's what I want to talk about. I, yeah. I'd like to talk about that if you're all right, if it's okay with yes, you. Because I was sharing this story yesterday with uh, a, a, another, uh, an old friend who I was doing a podcast with, and it was, and, and the reason why I thought of it with you is because I, I saw it on your LinkedIn. You remember the church was um, that. I think people who do that, and I think it's a two-year uh, yes, stint abroad. That it, it's an amazing training. Put, putting program. the putting the faith side, what putting that to one side, just knocking on doors all day long and paying for the pleasure of being rejected. It was a. <laughs> I'll share the story again. And apologies to anybody who listened to yesterday's podcast already and heard this yeah. story. But it was a few years ago. I was at home. And I'd been playing football the night before uh, in some, uh, I had this, it was an over 40s game, somebody invited, and I hadn't played football in maybe 20 years at this stage. And I thought, yeah, you know, maybe midlife crisis, I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll play. Ended up getting a kick in the back of my leg, which left me with a very heavy limp the next day. And so I had this stick I was using, like a crutch, to walk around just to help with the limp. The, the, take the pressure off the leg. Anyhow, I'm sitting in the in in this converted office. Converted garage was my office, which is right beside the front door. And these two gentlemen ring at the doorbell, nicely dressed. And uh, my wife goes out, has a chat, maybe there for five minutes. And I see them walk away, and I see them go to another door across the the, the estate. And I thought, hang on a second, these look like. And I didn't know at the time whether they were members of your church or whether Jehovah's Witnesses, because they would That's be right. the typical right yeah. uh, groups who would... Yeah, uh, rejection junkies. Door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, this is, this is what fascinated me. And I thought, I'm there and, and I'm kind of learning. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of rejection, right? 
and I'm working and I, of course I'm because I'd started the business I, I have no money coming in my wife's at home no, no income and it was just probably top of mind so I said I need to talk to these guys and so I went out the front door and I stood there and I said hey guys and I put the stick up in the air and I start walking across like this guy, guy. and they just froze <laughs> and, and then when they realized it was a friendly approach I said I went over and, and you laugh at this I in my naivety they had name badges on yeah. And I looked at one guy, and, and it was, El, I'm going to say Johnson. I don't know what his surname was, but in my naivety, I thought Elder was his first name. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and it was only when I looked at the other guy and I saw that, and then realized it was a title, but I actually called him Elder. That's um, okay. As, as, but it was like in a, in a first name context rather than a title. And I think there's a different in tonality when you do that. But, um, but what was fascinating to me was I said to them, listen, guys, I, I'm really, really curious. You guys, you're knocking on a lot of doors here. And I, I, I'm assuming that 99 out of 100 are, rege- thanks, but no thanks. And I said, there, and I'm sure there's also neighborhoods you go into and they may be a little bit more impolite than that. <laughs> how do you do it? How do you, how do you get through that? I mean, that's t- two years. And their answer always stuck with me. And I, and I think it's a wonderful philosophy for life when you're working with people in a coaching capacity or a, a leadership capacity. He said, they shrugged his shoulder and said, I guess they're not just ready. That, and, oh. and that was his, their, well, their way of internalizing. They're just not yeah. ready for the, whatever message they had when they called to people, they weren't ready for it. And I think that, and that's absolutely true. That's right. That's right. Well, I'll tell you, one of, there's, there's two, um, there's kind of two guiding things that in my faith that really, um, uh, there's two kind of statements from it, not even from a doctrinal standpoint that changed the way I works that I worked. Um, and some of this had to do with when my wife went through cancer and I know we talked about that uh, before the show, but there's a statement from, so when I was in my, uh, mid 20s i mean i've always been a you know a closet workaholic right i work a ton you and i are going to share that same disease right we just work 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 um and i always have and i'm i'm in some ways i'm always going to right um but uh, you know my mid 20s i was it was really really bad i i mean i was traveling 24 times a year uh, i was 70 pounds heavier than I am now. Um, I I was vice president of sales and operations for a call center company. And I just wasn't happy, even though I was successful. I mean, I was making good money. Uh, The business was doing well, but I just wasn't happy. My beautiful wife, this is before her cancer. She, she, you know, I never saw her. I never saw her kids. And I was really just frustrated about why didn't I feel successful? Even though all numbers in the ledger said I was successful, I didn't feel it. And that's when I created what later became the foundation of my coaching business, Accountability Now, my program, The Four C's of Accountability. Because if I learned what accountability was and started to develop that, I could be more successful in my own home. And it came around the idea, there's, there was a leader of my faith, his name was David O. McKay, where he said, no success outside the home justifies failure inside the home. Okay. And 
and I remember him saying that and me reading that. I mean, I must have read that quote 10,000 times over and over and over. No success outside the home justifies failure inside the home. And I'd have to stop you for a second, if yeah. you don't mind. I just wanted to leave that there because that ha that has to be one of the most profound things I've heard in a long time. It, it, and I can was... understand why you read it again and again and again. And as the more you read it, the more it sinks in and just seeps into your 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 being. Every fiber, right? Like, and I mean, I broke it down. God, I wish I could find the piece of paper because <clears throat> I under you know when you've read something and like in a book and you've you underlined it, you circle things and then you write. I mean, I was I was doing this to this statement, no success. And I was like, well, what is no success? Then outside the home, well, okay, this is my professional sex success. Well, shoot, if I want to be politically ambitious, because at the time I was thinking, God, I could be a senator, I could be this, I could I could be a writer, I could be this. And I started, I mean, I had lists of all these things I, I wanted to do ambitious-wise. And I was like, well, then none of those, if I become obsessed with those, none of them are justified if I fail inside the home. Well, what does failure inside the home mean? Well, what if my kids struggle here? What if my kids struggle here? What if my wife and I struggle here? What if she struggles? And I started to list. I mean, you should see this paper that I, I turned it, this one one statement into a dadgum workbook, right? Just like, brrr, and it was just life-changing this statement this is a statement from our church right and mm. this statement became a faith <laughs> crisis for me mm. around why am i working what in the heck am i doing and i changed why i work and i changed what i do and it, it really became one of the foundational principles of my coaching practice later on and all that i do because so many times and you hear this some from other coaches and business leaders where they say, oh, well, I'm about work-life balance, and I don't believe in work-life balance. There's no such thing, because work-life balance means something has to give and take. I teach uh, and promote work-life harmony, because I'm a musician. I, I grew up as a musical theater major. Music was a big part of our home, and harmony has to do with, if I take a, a, a piano, um, and I take notes on a chord, and I blend them together, it makes a more beautiful chord. So harmony means I find ways to integrate my work and my home together to make it more profound. So my, in my coaching business, my boys, 17 and 13, I have them involved with some of the lead gen. Okay? I spend time with them every week. Hey, let's, let's work on leads together. Let's do this. My daughter, she's 15. She goes through my social media management with me every Saturday morning. We get to go to breakfast, and we get to go through and plan out my posts and do it. This is how we get one-on-one -on -one time together because I have to spend time with my daughter. I want to integrate with her, and I want to do that. But I also want to do things that she cares about. Well, you know, look, she's 15. You think she doesn't care about social media? Yeah, she does. Right? It's very important to her. Okay, So yeah. we're going to integrate. My wife and I, we, I had knee surgery six weeks ago, so I can't do a lot of walking, but we get to go – kind of she does my physical therapy with me every night and when we're doing that every night we're talking about what am i doing from a business strategy or what is what can we do and she helps me plan it and build it and we are integrated in every part of it to create harmony as opposed to balance because balance is give and take 
and give and take means something loses. <laughs> and I don't want to lose. No, no, I no wanted, it's right. They're, I want it to win. Yeah. They're on, yeah. Interesting. So, and you said this happened. I'm curious. This happened. This, I guess, internal awakening happened. I don't know. It's not an awakening. It's a, it's a confrontation. I think the process you were going through was how you were resolving two different wants that seemed incompatible at the time. Yes, sir. Um, and this happened before your wife's cancer because you mentioned to me that when that happened, you were doing an MBA. So here you are, you're out, busy as hell. You're <laughs> trying to figure out how to bring more harmony into your life. You're, you're doing an MBA like, like, like working hard wasn't enough. <laughs> you're doing an MBA and then you find out your wife has cancer. Talk to me about that and, and, and how you adjust and adapt to that. So um, how the story went is I, you know, I was out, you know, working, traveling, uh, frustrated about how my life was going. And um, and I still remember it. I was in I was in uh, Rock Falls, Illinois. I just finished this training um, and uh, we we have a fast food restaurant in the States called Taco Bell, which is, you know, at the time was my favorite place to go and eat uh, probably five times there's a reason i was 70 pounds overweight well you didn't have to go too far then because there's one in every corner from what i can see okay yeah exactly okay so um and i was just sitting there you know feeling that feeling of man my life just can't get i've got to feel better than this and that's where i started thinking about that quote and i started thinking about i have to have a better way and so that's sitting in that training room was when i created the first kind of structure of my program the four c's of accountability and it was totally selfish this was just a don markland mentality of how to be better and as i created this program the four c's and started to live it my life started to just improve i started to lose weight um, i started to see my family more and thank goodness my wife liked the thinner me that was a bonus okay um and my business this was the really big bonus my business started to improve at the time we were about 15 million in size and then we grew from 15 million to 25 million up to like 30 million and and all my employees because i started to force them to learn the four c's and live it they started to improve and then i started to get kind of cocky over the next year because i had a program and and i'm like man i'm i'm the greatest executive ever and that's when all of a sudden my wife gets diagnosed with cancer right and i was like okay and i'll be just totally honest with you paul i was really pissed i was like hey i don't drink i don't swear i you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a really nice guy and my wife gets cancer. Like, how is that fair? Right. Like yeah. this is I've got three kids under the age of seven. And I mean, this is not right. And now I'm struggling with making it all work because she's going through her radiations, her surgeries. I'm doing an MBA. I'm trying to run this business. Um, and I was at a crossroad of do I have to start cutting and giving things up or do I try to make it all fit? And that's when I realized, look, I don't want to play the victim. It's all about the four seeds. It's all about accountability. Can I do what I said I'm going to do? So I made some adjustments to the way I worked. I started getting up between 4 and 4.30. And I'm big on morning routines. I mean, I obsessed over the way you, I run my mornings. We spoke before the, the program, and you're like, oh, you've got high energy. You're moving. It's, it's early here in the East Coast, but I'd already been up for an hour because I'd done my morning routine. I'd, I'd already hit all my marks, and I was high energy and moving. And it's and I've been doing that morning routine oh, going on 
geez, probably like 15 years, just boom, boom, boom. So okay. I got up, now, and I'll we, walk we, you we, through we, this. We, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, we know you're a salesman because right now everybody's kind of going, please tell us what the four C's are <laughs> and please tell us about your morning yeah, routine. Yeah. So let's do it in that order. If yeah, you're okay we'll do both. It. Well, that's no problem. So I got up, I hit the, I started to create this morning routine, which allowed me to start my days right, get food going for the kids, make sure my wife was feeling good for the day, then get them off to daycare, get food in the slow cooker, get to work. I'd come home and check on her because, you know, Anybody that has, has had a spouse go through that, they know they're very weak. They're resting all day. They're not, you know, it's a tough, tough time. And I don't want to pretend for a second what I went through was even fractionally as hard as what she went through, right? It wasn't, right? I had to juggle a lot. What she went through was 10 billion times harder and more fearful, okay? So um, I was just a juggler, right? She was the one that actually had to do it. So, um, but... Uh, we just went through it and it was actually just being accountable to myself and to her that got me through it. And you can, one of the things about the four C's that I'll talk about in a second is you can't be a victim, right? You, you can't, there are no excuses. You just have to be accountable to what you're going to, what you say you're going to do all the time. And it really pushes you through. Okay. So that's how I got through it. And then when I got through those two years with my wife, I remember sitting down at the end. We were talking through it, and she's been declared cure now for seven years. And um, we actually don't even – our anniversary is in one month. We'll have been married 19 years. Uh, uh, but November eight, uh, November 16th is actually the declared cured day. That's the day we actually go celebrate. <laughs> That's the day we really go – and nice. have a good time. We don't even nice. really do much on our anniversary. We don't. We don't even care yeah. about that anymore. It's November. Yeah. We go nuts. Um, and uh, uh, we we talked about we when I we after that two years of going through it all. I remember telling her, you know, sweetie, I wouldn't wish these two years on my worst enemy. But at the same time, I wish every single person could taste what this was like, because I'm a better husband, father, son, entrepreneur, executive manager. Um, you name it, everything's better because going through this helped me realize that statement of no failure outside the home can justify or no success outside the home can justify failure inside the home. This is why you work. So now can we talk about the four C's? Oh, can we oh just yeah. Break them down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the four C's <coughs> and. This is the 4C starts with kind of two basic rules. Um, the first, and they are kind of encompass all what the 4Cs are. The first rule is accountability always starts with me. You don't get to go into a room or go into a problem and, you know, point fingers. You did this. This person did. I, this is IT's fault, even though it's always IT, IT's fault. We know that. Okay. The, the real thing is, you, even if IT screwed up, you have to look at, wait a minute, how did I contribute to that? Did I not communicate enough? You know, did I, you know, if, you know, what did I do to cause that problem? Okay, you always start with yourself. Accountability always starts with me. The second rule is there are no egos in accountability. This one's important because I use a stupid sports metaphor about baseball. Okay, so if I throw a, a pitch and you swing and you miss, that's a strike. And it doesn't matter if the umpire called the strike or an opposing player called it a strike or a fan of the fans 
Stans calls it a strike. That is a strike regardless. But so many times we love to get all butt hurt and scream and yell. When you call it a strike on me, I love to point out, well, you know, Paul, you've got your own problems too. You're such a hypocrite. Why are you calling out my mistakes? Why am I wasting all that energy calling out your flaws and saying you're a hypocrite? Of course you're a hypocrite. Of course you have just as many flaws. That isn't the point. I still got a strike. I still had a miss. Okay? So that there are no egos. Anybody can hold you accountable. I don't care if they're an employee. I don't care if they're a competitor. I don't care if it's uh I don't care if it's somebody online. If you suck and they call it out, have the courage to say, Wow, thank you so much. Thank you for telling me I suck. That's a good call. Let me let me fix that. Okay? Those two rules, now the four C's. Real simple. The first C is critique success. When you nail it, right? When you've got a great podcast like this one, when you do something really well, before you break your wrist, pat yourself on the back, the first thing you do is look at it objectively and say, how can it be better? How do I critique this? How can I push it farther? Right? The minute you get to the top of the mountain, there's only one place to go. That's right back down. So don't yeah. get to the top. And it, it, it's funny that my the, the guest I had yesterday, Tom Castley, uh, he he actually picked, he used the exact same word. He said critique. And what he said was, he says critique is not the same as criticism. And people often confuse the two. Yeah. That's, and I think you're, that's worth pointing out. It's not the same. That's exactly right. Criticism is a tear down. Critique mm. is an analytical term. Right. Yeah. Like I don't want you, I don't want to be negative and tear down. I want to say, okay, look, hey, there's three gaps there. Look at that one. Let's get that one up. Let's it's goal. It's the goal of critique is to build up. That's right. The goal of criticism, I think, is to tear down. That's right. And remember, accountability is always positive, always positive. Mm. Even and it's it's part of it's about the delivery. Okay. And there is I don't I don't mean to get on a tangent here, but so many times managers, sales managers, executives, they only want to hold people accountable when they drop the ball. Stop that mentality. Accountability is for every decision you make. Okay? I should hold you accountable when you're killing it or when you're making mistakes. And I should say that term. I should say, hey, I need to hold you accountable. Not when you just suck because then your organization is like, shoot, he's only going to hold me accountable when I stink. And it creates a stigma around accountability of, man, I'm in trouble. No. Accountability is always good. It's always good because it means I'm building people. That's Ooh. that's the difference. Okay, so uh, you critique success, right? Always raise the bar. Always go up the mountain, right? Never, never level it out. That's just it. Just stops the growth. The second one is we correct failure. This one's big because Ooh. so many times managers want to punish failure. Right. Oh, you made a mistake. Bang. I'm going to just hammer you down. Oh, I'm so mad at you. You screwed up. And when people make mistakes and they fail, they just demoralize people. All that does is create a culture that people are scared Ooh. to take risks. And if you have people that are scared to take risks, you're going to hinder innovation, hinder ideas, hinder experimentation. I don't want that. I want people trying. I want people you know, figuring things out, which means there's going to be a crap load of failure. So when you make, I mean, think about your podcast, how many times you've made mistakes, right? You, 
you look when you have mistakes, we just correct them, right? Oh, okay, yeah. mistake, correct. Let's just find where we made the mistake. Oh, it was right there. Don't do that again, <laughs> and move on. And there's something else in this because, and again, here's an example. The the tool I'm using for this podcast, I used it because the quality is much better than Zoom. And also it's a lot easier to edit because it records both sides separately. And, but it's a relatively new piece of software and it's not bug free. And in the last two days, I have had two podcast recordings where the far end, your end camera just went blank. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, when that happens, I'm mad. But at the same time, I'm kind of going, there's no point in being mad. That's not going to solve it. And, and when I go back to the company and say, I, I need this fixed, I'm not looking for excuses. I just want it fixed. I'm not looking for apologies. I just want it fixed. Yeah. That's it. But people often get defensive. They think, oh, well, it's because of this. We had this. And I, I don't no. care. Just correct. I, I, I don't, by the way, I don't care that it happened. It wasn't great that it happened. But in the overall scheme of things, so what? It's yeah. no big deal. I just want it fixed. That's, That's it. it. Just correct yeah. it, right? Like, yeah. look, I, and I had this. I had a very similar thing in a um, in a group. We were we were doing registrations. We were registrations for a big event that we're doing. So we had a virtual conference that we were at, and at the last minute, I got double booked speaking at another event. And so I told the other group of panelists. I said, "Remember, when you're on your turn to speak at the panel, the only thing you have to do." is promote make your call to action okay everybody remember register here because there's no point in us being on the panel if we don't get registrants right the guys there's no reason well sure enough at the end we huddled as a team and they said hey i forgot to mention the call to action so we had zero registrants and i'm not kidding we had zero registrants and i said ha 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 you're joking like you didn't forget oh no they they forgot like they weren't kidding we had zero registrants and so we corrected the mistake, right? I said, okay, right. great. None of you are going to be on the panel going forward, right? Like, like we, we corrected the mistake, right? Like, okay, you guys, just, you guys just proved you will never be on a panel ever again, right? But the point is, is you find out where the problem is. And, and I'm joking. They're going to be on panels, but they're going to have a script, right? Like, I'm never going to let them be on a panel again without a piece of paper glued to their face, right? So um, you just you don't punish you just correct. That's that's important for your culture, for your team to let them know. And I actually do this when I have people that make mistakes like I did with this guy. I said, hey, I look, you made a mistake. I'm actually thrilled that you tried. Okay, Now we've got to correct the mistake and move forward. But you need to actually Ooh. encourage them to make more failures because they're already beating themselves up enough, I promise you. I promise they yeah. they feel terrible. Give them some – don't give them a pass – but you got to say, hey, I, I thank you for trying. I need more of that. But we got to fix mm. some of your decision making, okay? Because it's it's yeah. frustrating, okay? Yeah. The okay. third C That's is true. the third C, third C is celebrate growth. The hard mm. the hardest thing people do in this life is grow. Okay, it is the hardest thing. You've been to the gym before. You know when you go and lift weights, the most important lift is the last lift. Not one through mm. 10, not one through 11. It's one through the last lift. When you actually rip the muscles, the lactic acid comes in and builds the muscle. So 
you when when you see people on your team or with yourself when you do something that is outside the comfort zone which, which is so hard and you made that choice celebrate that yesterday so i'm you know i told you i had knee surgery six weeks ago yesterday i got to walk for the first time in six weeks because I, I haven't been weight bearing because i had meniscus surgery and they let me walk uh, for five laps on this little course thing it was so painful it was so hard that was amazing for me. And so we went out and celebrated. We went to dinner, and I was so thrilled, right? Yeah. Celebrate those moments. Yeah. I used to think that that was a sort of a, just a, something that people did when they celebrated success was, ah, I, was, I, was I, I was never big into it. I, I never thought it was important. And I was talking to a professor of psychology here in TCD, um, and he just written a book on confidence, and he said the one of the big distinguishing different features of confidence is it's it requires action. That it's not about self-esteem, which is a regard for yourself. But the difference with confidence is confidence comes from doing. Now it has to come with competence as well. But <laughs> he said it's the dopamine reward centers that come from positive feedback from taking action that build yeah. confidence. That's right. And that kind of maybe think differently about celebrating because celebrating is about releasing those, that, those, that dopamine and, 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 and associating it and tagging it into the activity you've just completed. That so now you have this new associative conditioning that that's goes exactly right. hand in hand. With it. Uh, that was yeah. very intellectual. And I love that you actually tied it that way because, um, it is a dopamine release, and there's a reason why I want you to celebrate growth and not success, okay? Because yeah. celebrating success, I believe that every single person was sent here by whom, whatever God they believe in. They, you, from you, Paul, to myself, to your family, to everybody, we were sent here to be successful. We were created to be successful in whatever de definition of successful you want. Some people that might be billionaires, some people that just might mean whatever you want it to mean. That is your expectation. And if you start celebrating meeting expectations, right, I don't celebrate meeting expectations. Okay, that builds entitlement. Growth is not expectations. Growth is a choice. When you choose to grow, that is hard. That is different. And so I don't say, hey, oh, great, you were successful. I, I expect you to be successful. Okay, I'm not going to go crazy for that. But growing, doing hard things, yeah, I'm going to celebrate the crap out of that because it is hard. It's a yeah. consistent hard, and it gets difficult. Just listen to what you're saying. I, th I think there's something else in it. Is the because success you can't guarantee. Well, first of all, what do we mean even mean by success? That's so nebulous in itself, right? However, however, it's also not necessarily always in our control. I'll give an example. And again, it's just top of mind because I was talking about it yesterday and I was talking about the most successful sports photograph of all time. Now, the context we were talking about it was that it was taken, I don't know, 30 years ago, maybe more <coughs> with an old camera that doesn't have any technology in it. Well, right. sorry, of course it has technology. <coughs> no digital technology. And, and we were talking about the skill that goes into that. However, it was a... It was a picture of Muhammad Ali over Sonny Liston. Yeah, he was I'm on the very camp. familiar with. I'm and very familiar down, with. Everybody knows the photograph, right? Yeah. He's looking down and it just says, "Yeah." 
But it was interesting, was looking through the legs of Ali, there's these other photographers on the other side of the canvas. Oh, wow. Now, they're equally skilled, but just because they were on that side, wrong angle. they didn't get the image. And even those other photographers, because again, those cameras in the old days didn't take 20 frames per second. So if you didn't capture, you had about a second to capture that. That's right. And, and so there is, a, there is serendipity. Now, you can associate that with some higher power, or you can just say it's confluence of, of circumstance. But you can't guarantee that always. Yeah. But you can guarantee what you do. And if you do enough of that, so for example, I show up to take pictures, yeah, right? And I hustle to get my place at the front. And if I do that enough, I'm going to end up with some of those shots. Yeah. And I think that to me is the difference between celebrating what's within your control and then also what's not within your control. Because maybe you go back to the, the serendipity prayer no, sorry, I beg your pardon. It's the serenity prayer. So here it is, yeah. and I like this. It says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, yeah. That's powerful, right? Yeah, I like that. I because like that. there are things that we don't have control over. Yeah. And, and to know the difference, and, right? To know, and to know because, the difference. And, so and, many, to accept it, and to accept it. Yeah, to accept it. Because so yeah. many times we confuse it and uh, and blame the wrong one. <laughs> blame the wrong yeah. one, right? And that's yeah. what accountability really is, right? Don't blame the wrong one. Take control of yeah. the ones that you own and then really take control, the, take control of those. Okay, the last one is crush mediocrity. Okay, so Ooh. here in Florida, we have huge bugs. I mean, uh, bugs the size of a shoe. They're just unbelievable. And I don't, I don't care how clean your house is, you've got bugs. Just nasty, big old bugs. And we have what's called, we call the lonely flip-flop, where one of my kids lost the other one, and we just keep it. And this flip-flop exists to destroy these bugs. And so when we see one of these bugs, right, I take that lonely flip-flop, and my job is just to just crush that bug. And because I know if I just, you know, lightly tap it, I, I believe that bug is going to go tell all of his little buggy friends, hey, Don's a wimp. Come on over. We got a place to stay. And he's going to go get them all over, and they're just going to camp out at my house. That is how mediocrity exists in our lives. It shows up. We all have it. We, it exists in all of us in a million different ways. And if we don't crush it with the fierceness and anger and passion of the lonely flip-flop, just wham, with everything we've got, it's going to go tell all of its little friends, hey, come hang out. Paul's a wimp, right? Like, well, let's just kick it here for as long as we can. And it's hard. Look, you talk about kind of a, you know, a, a hard and abstract thing to define. Um, mediocrity can sometimes be hard to define because with everybody, it's every different thing. Sometimes it's, did you make your cold calls, right? Or if you did make them, how well did you make them, right? Did you really make them, right? Sometimes Ooh. it's going through the motions with your spouse. Did you really 
like give her attention, right? Or did you just did you just come in, put your coat, you know, on the chair and just sit down? Did you get, really give your kids attention, right? Did you really do your morning routine? Did you really give yourself self-care, self-love, right? There's so many ways to do it. But when you recognize mediocrity in whatever form it is, and the minute you see it, just like when you see a bug, dadgummit, just crush the heck out of it. I can't do it, Don. I can't do it. I can't kill bugs. I'm, I'm the one in the family. You know, I grew up, there was, this, there was this song on the radio when I was a kid, and it was, we're all God's creatures. Yeah. <laughs> I just got inside my but I just, my wife will see a spider, and she, she, now she knows because we've had this conversation where before she'd jump and she'd stand on, I go, stop, you can't do that. She said, what am I going to do? I said, call me. So I'll go over, I'll pick it up, and I'll, put, and I'll go out and put it out in the back garden. I can't do it. Good for you. No, I'm not against it, by the way. If I get stung by a wasp, that son of a bitch is is is, <laughs> is going to expire pretty soon. I can tell you that for nothing. Yeah, so good. I'm I'm no saint. I'm no yeah, saint. Yeah. But I, I I do feel for the bugs a little bit. Yeah. Particularly uh, if they're that big. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. that's exactly. Uh, no. I see. But... Well, I don't know if you got them in Florida. The uh, is it the cicadas? Oh yeah, the cicadas. Yeah. Yeah. And this I, year I they're coming in... back. Yeah. Yes, that's what I know because I was in Baltimore in 2004, which is, and again, it was June time. And I remember walking down the street and there, it's, like, it's like a carpet and you're, and you're literally crunching as you walk along. And it was weird. I'd never seen this. This is to us, yeah. it's certainly in part of Europe I live in, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. And 17 years, how do they know to stay underground? How do they look at their watch and go, 17 guys? Yeah, look, and I'll tell you, look, and, and this is where there are so many evidences to me that there's a God that exists. And this is one of them, right, that they create, you know, insects and things on these mechanisms. Right. I just I see that. And I think, look, I uh, the are the the odds of that are worse than a slot machine. Right. Like it's just astronomical. And I'm not trying to turn this into a religious podcast. Right. But well, what, what we can agree on, Don, is that they were put there to help you with your aim. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So they're, right. they're probably sharpened and someday something's going to happen and right. you're required to maybe there's somebody who's robbed your house or stolen yeah. something and they're running down the street. And you take your shoe off, and it'll be at yeah. that moment you'll say, <laughs> "Now I know why the bug said." That's right. Yeah, yes, yeah. sir. You mentioned the morning routine, and we still yes. haven't talked about that. And I, I and it's something that's, I, I, I'm not good at. I'm, I'm not good yeah. at routine. I struggle with it, but I do see the benefits of it. I do understand it. It's the number one thing that'll change you, the way you work, the way your family works, the way you self care. The number one thing. So we'll find some time. I'm happy to do it. Thank you so much for what you do for people all over the world. Um, it makes a difference. I know you probably don't believe do that, you, but Couldn't it do makes a difference. You. Thank you so much, Paul.